Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. You are listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right. Another week, another dollar. As the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast continues, I'm Fran Duffy, and I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 34. At the top of this week's show, as always, we've got Chalk Talk, where Greg Cosell and I look back at that tough, tough loss against the Miami Dolphins and look forward to the Tampa Bay Bucks on tape on both sides of the ball. For two technique this week, my old friend Ike Reese is back in studio. We're going to talk some things through here. Talk some linebacker play here uh, on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, and we're going to wrap it up, as always, with Tony Pauline on Senior Bowl prospects. The Senior Bowl actually just announced 19 players for the first time this year. We actually know for sure some players that are going to be down in Mobile. I'm going to assume that you and I are going to be there. BT, as I bring him in, my favorite guy in the room, the man with the plan. B, we're going to see some of these guys in the Senior Bowl, but we will talk about that later in the show. First, Nutri-Rats. Yes. Yeah, the Nutri-Rats. <laughs> we will talk about that later in the show. So please stay tuned if you want to hear about some, uh, some Nutri-Rats are awesome. and exactly what the, that entails. But uh, BT, another week here. It's week 11. Uh, we're, we've reached that point in the season where you know, we've all kind of hit our groove in, in our department. And Okay, Monday, this is what we're doing. Tuesday, this is what we're doing. Now let's, let's get going to Wednesday. And now... We want to get to Sunday. We want to get to. We want to get past Sunday's game as quickly, especially as when you know it's 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 no different than you know I'm a golfer. So you have a bad round, you're like, I want that next round. Yep. I want that next round. So now we're all just itching to Sunday. We have another chance to obviously get a get a win. Uh, I, I I no longer you know this was really irritating me with the, with the team. Everyone's like, yeah, three winnable games. I'm like, whatever happened to just a winnable game ahead of us? You know, everyone's looking the Lions. And it, let's just focus on the Buccaneers. Let's get a W, and then let's get, let's focus on Thanksgiving. No but. question. I mean, I, one of the things too is that right now with the way that this team is playing, you can't look and say this is you can't three winnable anything. teams. You can't say that these are because, and I, you know, Miami was very much a winnable game. You would have said that before the game. You would have said that after the first quarter of the game. Uh, you have to be able to finish. You have to look at the next play, the next series, the next quarter, and you've got to be able to finish. Uh, and really, it comes down to that e word. That E word we've been talking about all season long. Uh, it, you know, it, it was disappointing, obviously, that they weren't able to follow through with that uh, and get a W against this team. And this is more of a Greg Cosell thing, but you know, he would say that did anyone think that Texans were going to beat the Bengals last night? Sure. It's you, you can't. This this league is, has way too much parity. You can't look ahead to the next three games, the next five. I mean, yeah, you can kind of get an idea where you're going, but sure. I'm focused on this week, and I can't wait to see uh, what we do against this Buccaneers team. No question about it. Well, we've got a ton to get to on the show, so let's get things cooking here. Let's start it off with Greg Cosell and Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. Joining me as he does each and every week here on the Eagle Line of Sky podcast, NFL film senior producer Greg Cosell. And Greg, it's week 11 here. Uh, obviously a very, very tough pill to swallow. You over it, Fran, or are you struggling with it? Uh, still still struggling a little bit, trying to you move know, on. Don't forget, teams have the 24-hour rule. Oh, yeah. you got to stick to that, you know? It's tough when you have to produce content for at least 48 hours afterwards, though. So uh, the 24-hour rule doesn't necessarily apply to us too much. But um, obviously a tough pill to swallow for Eagles fans. Uh, and anybody, if you're watching this Eagles team, tough to see them not be able to finish this win out against a Miami Dolphins team that – a first quarter, you know, after the first quarter, you and I saw, sat there in the studio. We thought this was going to be a blowout, you know, just the way the game started. And and in all honesty, you have to say that they lost to a team that is really not very good. 
and it was really, really a tough loss to watch. I mean, it, when that game ended, you and I kind of looked at each other like we couldn't believe what we just saw. Yeah. And let's hope that this loss is not the one that keeps them out of the playoffs because they still are very much in the playoff picture because the NFC East is is a very weak division this year. No question about it. And, you know, the the thing that I think is I struggle with the most after losses, and this is just from a purely selfish perspective, is – it's always tough to write about games like this afterwards because there are still good plays. There are still good concepts, sure. good individual efforts, but people don't want to hear about the good no, individual no. plays. They don't want to hear about the good concepts that the coaches busted out or uh, you know some new wrinkles on, on defense or offense because obviously they lost the game and it was such a tough loss to, to swallow. So uh, very tough to, to comment. A results-oriented world, Fran. Sure, no question about it. Well, uh, obviously a very tough game, and we could start on offense where the offensive line had their ups and downs, more downs than ups, I should say. Uh, the run game, I think, was able to you know get some things going early, but not necessarily to the level that we saw a week ago no. against Dallas. Pass game, very much about the boot action, especially early on. They were able to do a lot of things off of that boot action, and we saw a lot of success with the tight ends. Yeah, and we also saw a defense that really couldn't get aligned properly at times, yeah. and that's what the speed tempo does. And we've seen more of that over the last couple of weeks, so clearly that's something to build on. Obviously, it's going to be Mark Sanchez this week. Um, we'll see. I mean, he played a lot last year. It's, he certainly is familiar with the offense. He's always, at times, been a little bit of a questionable decision-maker, and certainly that, that red zone interception was one that, that – um, he would want back, and, and it, it was it was probably the play that cost them. Uh, but you know the one thing about the Eagles, and and we I don't know if we've discussed it, but everybody assumes what, because of when Chip came from college that this is really a schemed based offense. It's really an execution based offense. There's not a lot of volume in terms of number of concepts. They run a lot of the same plays over and over, which is neither good nor bad. If if, if it's successful, it's very good. Right. I mean, the play they opened the game with, the 64-yard pass to Selleck, they ran that play, I don't know, 10 times in the game, and I would say eight or nine of them were successful plays. I mean, they had to average yeah, 28 yards per play. Exactly. When they, when they so it's, it. it's neither good nor bad. It's just a point that they're not really a highly schemed offense. They're an execution offense. Yeah, no question about it. And you see that in every level, too, because – uh, you talk about that Selleck play. They ran that play four, five, six, seven times. They do that in the run game. They do that in the quick passing game. Yep. All, all kinds of times. And then also, not even just the same exact play, but then subtle variations of the play. So you may see the same concept. You know, different 10, personnel, 10, different times. formations. Exactly. exactly right. So it's it's always it's interesting because a lot of people, if you're looking at it from just a wide scope and just you almost look at it almost like uh, you know pieces on a chessboard just moving. It really is. It comes down to a handful of concepts that really work well for this offense and have for the past three years. Yeah, different looks, same plays. Yeah, and and really a lot of good offenses. That's what they're about. Yeah. Um, I thought the most disappointing thing, quite honestly, was the run game in the second half. Yeah. Uh, because they they really could not get anything going. I, I mean, when you you know, obviously it's a team that tries to run the ball. They they had been very successful running the ball. Chip Kelly really wants there to be balance. That's the way he, he features his offense. And they really could not get anything going at all in the second half. And, and, and I think when, when you have then Mark Sanchez come in and, and he's kind of forced to throw the ball, it, 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 he was put in a tough spot. And, and, and look, obviously, he would tell you, and he said so in the press conference, he made no excuses. Uh, he said, hey, there has to be a seamless transition. 
And he's right. He's been in this league long enough. And now he gets a week of preparation. Yeah, no question. And obviously, I think a lot of those issues in the run game had to do with the Eagles' troubles that they had with Ndamukong Su yeah. and, and what he was able to do up front. I would say probably the best game of his season so far, the best game Hands of down. his career as a Dolphin. So, uh, you know, he was very disruptive in a number of different areas, hurt a number of different offensive linemen, whether it was Jason Kelsey, who was – it's it's interesting. He came out and said that it was – he felt like it was the worst game of his career. I actually think in the first half, it, it right. wasn't too bad. The second half – uh, yeah. They all had trouble along that line, and it, and they all took turns. It wasn't just the interior guys with Sue. Uh, Lane Johnson gave up pressure on the final play of the game that forced Sanchez to get rid of the ball early to, yep. uh, to Jordan Matthews. Dennis Kelly got beat inside on the play that got Sam Bradford hurt. So all of these guys from left tackle to right tackle and everybody in between had their issues in the, up front in the, in the blocking game. Yeah, and, and it'll be interesting as, as they look ahead to Tampa because Tampa uh, – they have a very good defensive line and a, a different kind of defensive line. Their D line is based on quickness. Yeah. And, and let's, let's talk. We usually start about uh, when we talk about opposing teams, we usually start on the offense first. Let's start about this defense because I think that they're a little bit undersold nationally and what they can, what they I can agree. do at a number of different levels, a lot quicker up front. You mentioned the quickness along the defensive line, these two linebackers. And it's funny. We talked about the two linebackers, Misi and Jenkins last week. These two are better. You better. Know, when you look at Levante David uh, and then inside a middle linebacker, Quan Alexander, the rookie, fourth-round pick, I believe, out of LSU, who we both loved. No better example of player and team fit yeah. than Alexander and the Bucks, because I remember watching him at LSU, and I know you watched him as well, and I really liked him as a player, and I knew he was 227 pounds, and I went back and I looked at my, my notes because, you know, as you do, I take notes when I watch college players and evaluate them. And my final note was would fit best in a four three cover two style defense like the one Lovey Smith runs. And they draft him in the fourth round and he's a starter from day one. And he and David and, and I've watched them all year. I know you studied them this week in preparation for the Eagles game, but I've been watching them all year. And they are two of the quickest and they play stacked, two of the quickest stacked inside linebackers in the NFL. Yeah, no question. And they're used in such a wide variety yep. of ways, whether you know they're mugged up inside in the A-gaps or they're stacked, as you say, you know, when they're defending the run. They're used as blitzers. They're used in coverage in man and co- used in coverage in zone. Uh, Quan Alexander has made a number of different plays on the ball, whether they're interceptions that have counted or some that have been taken away because of penalties uh, from somewhere else along the, along the formation. But just a really dynamic pairing of linebackers at the second level. You know, when we talked about Sue really causing disruption this week, and, and this week they get a guy like Gerald McCoy. Sue and McCoy came out in the same draft. Yep. They're different players. Sue is kind of relentlessly powerful. McCoy is dynamically quick. Yeah. They're different players. And because the Bucks are quick up front, one thing they do is they do a lot of slanting. They try to get into the gaps. And the Eagles are going to have to be aware of that. Yep. And it's, it's interesting. You talk about uh, Lovey Smith and this defensive scheme and it, how – He's always kind of run things the same way. And you go back to that to- those Tony Dungy days when Tony Dungy was in Tampa Bay and those defenses there. And, you know, they play a lot. Of, they played a lot of Tampa, too, back then. And really, it relied on that four-man rush and what they were able to get from that group. It's not as much blitzing. They, choose, they pick their spots, and they will come after quarterbacks. They blitz a, a little ways. more than people might yeah. think. I, I, I was surprised with yes. how much they did yes. blitz. But that, like you said, they rely on those stunts. A lot of different twist games up front, whether it's TE stunts or two ta- the, the two tackle stunts. Lots of different ways they try and get after the quarterback with just four. Yeah, and, and you know, I think they're, they're somewhat predictable in what they do, but they also disguise. 
and and they don't disguise let's say like a rec, you know Rex Ryan at his best it's right. not like that with exotic sophisticated schemes but what you see isn't always what you get now when all said and done they predominantly play three coverages they predominantly predominantly play cover 3 cover 2 or Tampa 2 with the line the, the Mike linebacker dropping yep. and man free they predominantly play play those three coverages now you don't know when they're going to play them. Uh, they play a lot of Tampa 2 in third down and long, let's say. But they do mix it up a little bit. But that's what you're going to get with the Bucks. Yep, no question about it. And then you look at the, at the, uh, the secondary. You've got Jonathan Banks, who was a second-round pick out of Mississippi State. Mike Jenkins, who's been a veteran in this league. Alcee Werner as well. They signed over from the Tennessee Titans. And then at safety, Chris Conte. And then McDougald as well has been making plays for them. Uh, it's not the you know, a group that you're looking at and, and saying, wow, we're, there's no way we're going to be able to throw against this group. But they they work well pretty within the scheme. Well, and you know it's funny because Jenkins and Banks did not. Uh, Jenkins only played three or four snaps this week, and Banks did not play. They played on the outside, Sterling Moore, yeah. who basically lined up against Des Bryant most of the game and actually did a good job. Which was very, I was very surprised to see that. Yeah, and, and people might remember Sterling Moore as the guy that knocked away the pass from, against Lee Evans in the AFC Championship game a number of years ago. Um, so he's been in the league quite a while. And then they played a kid, the, the other starting corner this week, and I don't know if you're familiar with him, was, was Jude Ajay Barama yeah. from Bowling Green. I went and I'm looking, I'm like, 38. I'm like, who, who is this guy? Yeah. And I looked him up, and, I had no idea. And by was. the way, he did not play badly. Yeah. yeah now, the Cowboys are not a real good passing team with Matt Castle, but that's who they started outside with Werner on the inside this week. No question. So uh, that's what you have defensively. And then you look at this offense. Obviously, it all starts with Jameis Winston uh, in terms of what you want the focus to be on. I was very impressed with Jameis. And it, 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 I know that there were growing pains early. The first couple of weeks, a lot of bad interceptions, some Aaron throws. I think he's kind of settled in, and I was pretty impressed with what I saw over the course of the last 10 weeks. Yeah, I think he's like most rookies. He's been a little uneven, a little erratic. Uh, the biggest concern you have, I think, with Jameis, well, there's a couple of things. And, and as a defense, you try to make these problems worse. Number one, I think when there's pressure, his lower body mechanics really break down because he's not by nature a quick-footed athlete. And then he hurries his throws and can make some undefined throws. Uh, the other issue he's had on occasion is not recognizing underneath coverage, particularly between the numbers in the middle of the field. And I think that's something that Bill Davis and the Eagles coaching staff will be well aware of. It would not surprise me, Fran, to see the Eagles sort of up their blitz frequency a little bit this week, especially if Vincent Jackson remains out because ultimately Mike Evans then is really the only receiver you have to be concerned about. Uh, so I think you want to try to get Winston to have to move. Uh, his, he does not move well in the pocket. That's not his game. Now, can he get better at that? Yeah, but you need an offseason for that. That doesn't happen during the course of the season. Sure, and then I, I would say one of the things that I was – uh, most impressed with after watching the Bucks offense, you know, usually when you see some of these young quarterbacks and I can remember, you know, even watching Teddy Bridgewater, his rookie year in Minnesota, some of these other guys that have come into the league uh, over the last couple of years and you see how the coaching staffs treat them. Often it's with kid gloves and just the way, you know, a lot of very defined throws, a lot of defined reads. And obviously that they mix that in with Tampa, in Tampa Bay, 
but the, I feel like they're not handling him with as much kid lo- kid gloves as, as you would expect. Really, you see a lot more in terms of full field reads. He does a really good job working safeties in the middle of the field, reading defenses, going from one side to the other. Very, very interesting to see uh, how far along he is in that respect. And they push it down the field. He's not afraid to pull the trigger no, down the no, field either. No, yeah. this is not a dink and dunk offense. Let's no. make it comfortable, easy throws. He, and, and as you said, and this was true at Florida State, He's a turn at loose quarterback. Definitely. Uh, so he's, you know, he's made a couple of throws this year that were really high, high level quarterbacking throws. And no, he's progressing well. And it's just what is his ceiling, which is not really a concern for the Eagles this week. Right. They want to play into some of the deficiencies he's shown and make him uh, play a little faster than he wants to. Yep. And then coming into the year, a lot was made of this receiving core, and you had. Mike Evans, who's in his second year. You have Vincent Jackson, the veteran. You have Austin Safarian Jenkins as well. Three big, long, rangy, athletic uh, movement pieces along this receiving core. The three of them have only pay, played, I'm pretty sure, a combined two quarters all together. That's correct. So, uh, yeah, so something far like this that. Season. Yeah. So uh, the injuries have hurt them. But this is a team that's not afraid to go down the field. They take a lot of vertical shots with Mike Evans, and that's really his game. It's not yeah. necessarily uh, a lot of the quick stuff. It's deep digs the deep go routes, deep posts, comebacks, a lot of things where the back shoulder is obviously a big part of what they do as well. So uh, something that the Eagles secondary will have to deal with. Yeah, Evans, for instance, does not move like Calvin Johnson. Right. You know, in terms of running routes, and, and they'll see Calvin Johnson on Thanksgiving Day, obviously, the Eagles. But, but Mike Evans does not move like that. He doesn't really have that hip smoothness. Right. You know, he's more of a straight line runner, and he's obviously big. He's had some issues with drops this year, as you know. I mean, he's he's dropped some some easy easy throws, but at six four, two hundred and thirty plus pounds, he certainly is a weapon on the outside. Now, the Eagles, for the most part, by NFL standards, have big corners, but they're not six four, two hundred and thirty pounds. Yeah, yeah, I know, and it's uh, it's definitely going to be a technique game for these guys yep. in the secondary because uh, when you have to deal with some of these back shoulder throws, you really have to be disciplined in your coverage. You don't want to uh, get too bodied up on the receiver, but you do have to play through the body and try and get to the catch point and try and disrupt and get that ball on the ground. So it's going to be a very uh, technique-based game here for this uh, for this Eagles secondary. And then you look in the run game, and really, as much as we want to talk about Winston and we want to talk about these receivers, they want to try and run the ball. Doug Martin uh, has done a pretty good job. We've seen the return little bit of what we saw his rookie year yeah. as the muscle hamster. Yep. Uh, and he's kind of had a little bit of a revival here in 2015. Yeah, competitive runner, hard runner, good lower body strength. Um, you know, they do a number of different things in the run game. They'll line up with a fullback a good amount of the time with a lot of lead-type runs, uh, try to get the fullback up on the second-level linebackers, the stack backers inside. Uh, and then they have Charles Sims who's a different kind of back, a lot more one-back stuff. You know, and one thing I've noticed watching them, and it's going to be interesting how the Eagles defend this, whether it becomes Jenkins or whether it's a linebacker, is, you know, they, they'll get wheel routes. You know, Eagles fans are very familiar with wheel routes. The Eagles like to run them. They'll get Sims on wheel routes. They'll even detach Sims from the formation. You know, we saw last week Lamar Miller line up on the first series, sure. and Michael Kendricks was on him, and Miller ran by him. And the, the Bucks like to do that with uh, Charles Sims. Yeah, no question about it. And then let me ask you this. Their, their offensive line, uh, you know, you watch them week in, week out. Obviously young. They spent two high picks. You have Ali Marpet out of Hobart College in western New York. You've got Donovan Smith out of Penn State. Some other pieces that they've brought in there along that offensive line. What has been your feeling watching this group over the course of the season? It's improved. 
But I will say this, Marpet did not play last week against Dallas. I don't know as we speak here on Tuesday night if Marpet is going to play this week. They replaced him with Evan Dietrich Smith, and I, I thought the drop-off in athleticism was noticeable. So I think without Marpet, they're not near as athletic in O-line as they are with him. And that's some uh, place I think the Eagles can take advantage with their group up front. You know what really struck me, Fran, and I'm sure you noticed this, and, and I don't remember seeing this as much as I saw it this week with the Eagles, how many times they played with their base down three. Reduced? In, in nickel. Interesting. I actually, I did notice that. They played with their normal down three, that is their 3-4 down three. Right. Not their nickel D-line right, there right. or their sub-package D-line, but their base down three. I'm talking like Thornton, Logan, Cox, or Hart, Logan, Cox, or Hart, Allen, Cox. That group. Right. That's their base three-man line. Sure. And they played nickel. Yeah, I would imagine. I wonder if— 14 it, snaps, all against 11 personnel. Yeah, and that's what I, I was wondering, how much— uh, if that is based on the fact that the, the the Dolphins were such a big eleven personnel team, how much and they and then how much they run out of those sets? Right. So they, they must have felt comfortable with the fact of putting those base defensive linemen out there in those uh, eleven personnel situations. Even though you would think, okay, maybe this is a pass, expecting run. And I don't think they'll do that this week because the Bucks are, in terms of personnel, a pretty conventional NFL offense. You know, they're going to run the ball out of base personnel on early downs. And one thing we shouldn't mention about the Bucks too, is they play meaningful snaps with six offensive linemen. They're willing to just line up and say, here we come. We're going to beat you with our big guys. We're going to, our big guys are going to beat your big guys. Yeah, no question about it. It's going to be very interesting to see how, how these two teams match up because uh, a team that wants to run the ball against a team that takes pride in the fact that they're one of the better run defenses in the entire uh, NFL. Very, very interesting to see. Uh, we will see it all on on Sunday afternoon. Greg Cosell, appreciate the time here once again on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. We'll talk to you here next week. Thanks, Fran. Love having Greg eat in each and every single week. Uh, very much enjoy all of our conversations when we talk about the game. We talk about the Eagles and the upcoming opponent each and every week. But NFL, before we, NFL meat sandwich. That's right, your, your meat sandwich. But before we get into the rest of the show, BT, your time to shine. What do we got here on iTunes this week? Got some good stuff this week. Anthony Rusamano, love the last name there, uh, loves the podcast. It's the best Eagles podcast out there, which we really appreciate because we know there's a lot of other people uh, giving you good information. Um, so he loves it, loves it over uh, sports talk, which I totally agree. This is why I got into podcasts because I was kind of over the Philadelphia sports talk stuff. So uh, he loves everything that we give him, learns a lot from the podcast, which is exactly what we want because the, my biggest thing is I want people to take away something from this. I That's want right. them to listen and say, you know what? I didn't know this, or I didn't know that. And so um, I appreciate Anthony writing in, and uh, certainly everyone sending your comments. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, and we'll tailor anything you want just for you. Listen, BT have already, and I have already been in discussions about this. We're going to start. This is breaking news. We're going to start giving you guys some, uh, some value. Oh, this is big. This is huge breaking news. <laughs> this is huge now. We will start rewarding you. For going on and commenting and rating the podcast. So if you go on, you rate the podcast, you leave a comment, there could be some autographed swag coming uh, to your home or wherever you provide your address to. Are you listening? Uh, Occupy your mother. Yeah, yeah. Exactly I know you're right. listening. Occupy your mother. <laughs> <laughs> some of our favorite, some of our listening. favorite commenters in, the, in, in weeks past here for sure. Uh, but we have already been in discussions about it. So don't know when it's going to start. But you never know. It could be you. So go I, on. It's the best way to support the podcast. We are constantly always asking you guys for comments, support. I know you're like, oh, here's that part of the podcast where you guys are. 
but we really actually care about what you're what, what you guys have to say about the podcast and so this is a way to kind of give you guys an incentive to want to really tell us what you like what you um, we're not afraid of criticism people okay so no, there's plenty of criticism and oh, i like it i love it but i thrive on criticism hey it's what, it's what makes you better that's right it makes you better so, that's right um sending your, your comments and appreciate the stuff uh, anthony exactly right so uh let's get into the rest of the show here two technique with my man ike reese time to get inside the mind of a player it's time for two technique joining me once again here on two technique former eagles linebacker ike reese host of eagles game plan host of the kelly strader does eagles game day on the post game show does a number of different things here on philadelphiaeagles.com ike it's week 11 of football season yeah does it seem to go faster every year it really does. I mean, you know, obviously we, we love this sport, every sort of facet of the sport, whether it's from uh, the end of the season and preparing for free agency and the draft and then after the draft and after you bring in new players, getting ready for training camp, going into the season. We only get 16 of these games, and we've already gone through, uh, uh, what, nine of them? We've yeah. already gone through nine of them on our way to our next game, and Man, it seems like it, it, it does. It seems like every year it goes by faster and faster. It, uh, does, it, does it go faster now in the media than it did when you were a player, or is it slower? Uh, I would have to say a little slower. Okay. Yeah, I, I would have to say a little slower because, obviously, uh, when, when you're playing, part of that time is you need for recovery. So <laughs> you need to get the body prepared and working out and all those things during the offseason. So that sort of takes up your time a little bit. You're sort of occupied with trying to get ready for the season. Whereas when you're covering it in the media, you know, we get the 16 games and then we have to overanalyze everything <laughs> else. You know, it's like sure. we, we look at our calendar. It's like, what's next? When does free agency start? Okay, free agency is over. Well, when's the draft or when's the combine or when does training camp start? When are OTAs? So we're constantly looking at that NFL calendar waiting for our next, uh, what can I say, our next appetizer before the season starts. Yep, no question about it. All right, well, the reason why I brought you in today, Mm -hmm. I wanted to ask you about blitzing and really the the art of blitzing as a linebacker. We've got uh, this Tampa Bay team coming to town with two linebackers that are fast, they're athletic, they're physical, and they're really good blitzers. Both Levante David from Tampa Bay and Quan Alexander, the rookie from LSU, uh, both have been very disruptive against the pass, and they use them. They're not a big blitz team, but when they do, those guys are very effective. What I would say, uh, what is the hardest thing to do as a blitzer when you're coming from the linebacker spot? Timing. Yeah. And it's the most important thing. And that's I think those are where you find the good blitzers. Even our own Michael Kendricks. I think he does a great job of timing up the snap. Uh, and he seems to come free an awful lot. Now, it takes a lot of film study. Uh, it obviously takes hearing the cadence out there. But I, I would think making sure you have the proper timing. And with today's quarterbacks, you can't tip it off because some of these quarterbacks are changed to play if they feel like an extra guy is coming. So – I, I've always felt the best best blitzers were the guys that could time up the snap. Brian Dawkins was was one of the best I've ever seen at doing it. Sure, you know, so you, you got to have the timing down first and foremost. So one of the things that always comes up, and fans like to ask this a lot, is what is the difference between just a regular blitz and then a run blitz? So you have different you know different concepts where yeah, this blitz is probably better in, ter- in terms of stopping the run, and this is hey third and long, we're dialing this up. I would say the personnel that you bring. Sure, okay. I, I think uh, you know I, I, you know 
we ran a lot of five-man pressures that you can call blitzes or not. You know, Jim, you should just call them five-man pressures because we would use Jeremiah as a guy that would go in there and blow either blow up the center or blow up the A-gaps. And a lot of those came on first and second down. We considered those our run blitzing uh, sort of type of blitzes where you use bigger guys. And then we would get to third down, and you would use more of Dalk. Uh, we would use our corners at times. Uh, when we were in our Oki package, I was a guy that was used in the past rush more. So I would say a lot of it is determined by your personnel because with the uh, – with the run blitzes, you want to have guys that are bigger, a little more physical up there, and you're expecting a run as opposed to expecting the pass. What is the – in terms of once, once the blitz actually starts, you've, you've gotten out of your stance. Mm-hmm. What is the, where are your eyes going? Are your eyes focused on the quarterback? Or you have to kind of keep your eyes wide open and see, hey, there's a guard that's got, kind of got uh, you know, his, his bullseye on me, and I've got to make sure I avoid any kind of block from my blind side. That's a great question because here's the deal. Every blitz, even when you're sent on a blitz, isn't necessary an all-out blitz. In other words, there could be a blitz where I'm rushing from the outside, but if this back releases, my it may be a blitz where my job is to peel, to peel right, on sure. that back. So, yeah. you know, you, certain blitzes have different responsibilities built into it based on what the offense is going to do. Uh, you could be what we used to call a sacrificial lamb sure, in yeah. a blitz where – we don't expect you to get free, but we expect you to hit this gap because we want you to free up another guy that we're going to bring around. So a lot of it depends on your responsibility in that blitz. I would say you can go from even, I mean, from having a zero blitz where there's no responsibility, just get to the quarterback, or you may have the responsibility of freeing up another guy. Or as I mentioned, first and foremost, uh, you could be a guy that's responsible for either the tight end releasing or the running back releasing quick uh, and it's sort of a man blitz. You got you and Mike Quick like to like to bust on me a little bit for the time that I spend in the office. Yeah. One day I was I was watching the 2002 NFC divisional round game against Green Bay, and it was overtime. Okay. Yeah. Was the interception for Brian Dawkins and you coming off the edge as as a, as a blitzer was very key to that play, to Brett Favre getting rid of the ball uh, earlier than he would have liked. Do you remember that play? What was something that you remember from that of play? Of course I do. Are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> Glad you picked up on that. Uh-huh. No, but that is something that uh, I don't necessarily brag about a lot or talk about. No even. one talks about yeah, it. Yeah. I had and, to give you some love. And it was a part of the play. Yeah, and I'm, I'm one of the blitzes. I think it was myself and Mike Lewis. Yes. He was, he was inside of me, and I'm on the outside, and they couldn't block both of us, so I wound up coming free, and Brett, it, I'm basically his responsibility because they don't have enough people to block us, and he has to get rid of the ball before I get there. And as you said, I didn't get picked up, forced him to get rid of it sooner. Uh, he threw it up in the air, and uh, it was all she wrote. It was. It really boiled down to who's going to be more unselfish, Lito Sheldon or Brian Dawkins? Who gets to catch the ball? Seniority ruled there. So <laughs> we saw Brian got the chance to make that interception, and Lito blocked. But, yeah, when, when you force a quarterback – and that's the key part. Coordinators will tell you that often. You don't necessarily have to get the sack. If you force the quarterback to either get rid of it sooner than he wants to or alter his release angle, sometimes that's even better than a sack because it leads to an interception. If I get that sack there, uh, I don't even remember if it was third down or not. I don't think it was. So the Packers still have a chance to continue that drive. So that was just a play where making him get rid of the ball sooner 
worked out for us. Sure, and no question. And it led to one of the best uh, Eagles playoff victories, uh, for sure, in team history. Ike Reese, appreciate the time here on Two Technique. We'll talk to you soon. Always my pleasure, Franny. Ike Reese dropping knowledge here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. So I'm going to drop some quick knowledge on how to subscribe to a podcast. Obviously, if you're listening to this on the podcast app, you already beat me to it. You beat me to the punch. You already know how to subscribe. But for those of you that are listening on PhiladelphiaEagles.com or on the Eagles app, all you have to do is go to your native podcast app on your smartphone or you just go to your iTunes account on your computer. You just go, you search for the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast in your iTunes store or wherever it is that you search for apps on your phone, on your device, on your laptop, and you go and you find the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, you hit subscribe, and the show gets downloaded to your your device each and every week. It's as simple as that. And then you can hear my somewhat scratchy voice and BT's uh, beautiful pipes each and every week. You can listen to the Eagles Insider podcast. You can get the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by AAA. And then also you can get myself and Ross Tucker on the College Draft podcast each and every week talking NFL draft, talking college football, talking football. That's what we do here. We uh, have what you need, people. That's right. And the podcast, BT was the one who introduced me to podcasts, and I have not consumed content the same way since that point. But let's finish up the show here. Let's get to college football and Saturday scouting. It's time for Saturday scouting. Joining me this week on Saturday Scouting, Tony Pauline from DraftInsider.net. It's been far too long, just about a month since we last talked to you here on this podcast. Uh, Obviously, a lot of news has come out over the last few days in terms of uh, Senior Bowl invitations, Shrine Game invitations, all this stuff starting to pour out now. Some of those things you've had for quite some time. Let's start with two of the names that I wasn't familiar with now that are starting to come out, and that's Harry and Miller, the cornerback, from Southeast Louisiana, and James Bradbury, the corner from Samford, two schools we've seen players come from and play well in the Senior Bowl and seen their stocks rise. What have you seen from these two players, Harry and Miller and James Bradbury? Yeah, Miller, Southeastern Louisiana. I, I had actually wrote about him in my Rises and Sliders column, I believe back in September, because he was gaining some momentum in the, uh, in the scouting community. I, I mean, he's, a, he's got a thin-frame guy. He only goes about 175 pounds at six foot. Uh, but he's got terrific ball skills. He's very quick. What you like to see out of those small school corners is, you know, he's fundamentally sound. It's not just he's a good athlete and he makes plays on it by his athleticism, but he's quick-footed. He's good transitioning, flipping his hips. He, he's got the, the sound fundamentals. Uh, he's also a very good tackler. I mean, a guy who's 175 pounds, you, you figure may shy away from contact. Not Miller. He's a good open field tackler. He's good against the screens. Yeah, obviously, he's got to fill out his frame. He's got the underlying ball skills. Opponents stay away from him down that Southland Conference because he's so good. So obviously you want to see how he can do in the step-up in competition at the senior ball. As far as Bradbury's concerned, yeah, he, he's sort of the opposite. He's six foot, one half inch, almost 215 pounds, and he plays big. He's smart. He's instinctive. He's very good facing the action. He's a tough guy that beats down opponents. Uh, he shows solid ball skills, and let's not forget, as you kind of alluded to, I mean, his teammate, uh, former college teammate, Jakorski Tart, was a guy who went to the Senior Bowl last year and just blew teams away with his uh, with his ball skills. My concern about Bradbury is his long speed. So, you know, as we've seen and as we've covered at PhiladelphiaEagles.com at the Senior Bowl, when they're doing those one-on-one drills, you know, with the deep pass patterns and the cornerbacks have got to cover the receivers, That'll be a telltale sign for Bradbury, who I also think can play some safety because when you watch him on film, 
He's good facing the action. He works well with the safeties. He's got a good head for what's happening. So I think with that size, you know, he's a guy who maybe is a bump-and-run cover, can also play some safety if you want him to. Tony, one of the guys that I'm really, really anxious to see down there in Mobile, the defensive tackle from Illinois, a guy I've been touting for a few weeks now, is Jihad Ward, uh, senior defensive tackle from the Illini. He's big. He's a great athlete, plays with a high motor. And I almost feel like and they play slightly different roles in their defense, and you know, they're a little bit different in terms of body type. But I remember both of us were down there a year ago when Carl Davis came from Iowa from the Big Ten and he was one of the best players in the week of practice all week. Still ended up being, I think he was a third-round pick from Baltimore. But I think Jihad Ward has got that athleticism where he can really shine in these one-on-one drills. What have you heard about Ward, and what are scouts saying about wh- how much he can affect his stock down there in the, in the week of practice? Well, it's funny that you compare him to uh, Carl Davis because, you know, Carl Davis uh, played like a first-round pick all week. He fell into the third round because the film did not match what we saw at the senior bowl. He basically was not a very productive player, or he was an underachiever, underproductive at Iowa. And that's the same sense I get with Jihad Ward. What you said about his size, his athleticism is right on. Six, five and a half, 295 pounds evidently runs the 40 in under, four, uh, in under five seconds, really looks the part. You know, but his production has been very spotty. He, he's a guy who is a bit of an enigma, looks the part but doesn't play to it. I mean, three-and-a-half tackles for loss, one-and-a-half sack this year. I know a lot of it is scheme-specific, but really no sacks or tackles for loss against Ohio State, against Iowa, against North Carolina, against Nebraska, against Wisconsin. Uh, you know, he's got to start to produce. Obviously, the senior ball through the years – has been a game where defensive linemen, you, you know, you saw Shelton last year, we mentioned Carl Davis, you know, they can go there and really improve their draft stock because so many teams need defensive linemen and the one-on-one drills say, hey, listen, maybe it's something in the coaching on the college ranks, maybe it's something that didn't, that didn't click that we will be able to get him to do on Sundays. He has an opportunity, but he's really got to start to produce. He's got to put up some better numbers than he has. I think it's really ironic that you can compare him to Carl Davis because that's what I'm hearing a lot of, or the things I heard about Carl Davis last year, underachiever, doesn't really produce the way he should, is what I'm hearing about Ward. So, uh, you know, the rest of the season, as well as the senior ball, to be able to right the ship and get his uh, draft stock headed in the correct direction. Very, very interesting. Well, staying in the Big Ten, two players that really have just come out of nowhere this season and have really produced at a very high level for their prospective teams. You look at Michigan State wide receiver Aaron Burbridge, who, by the way, has a huge matchup this week against Ohio State cornerback Eli Apple. And then you look at Penn State on the defensive line. uh, Carl Nassa, the defensive end, actually from the Philadelphia area, uh, has been very, very productive for the Nittany Lions all season long. These two guys apparently are going to go, go down to Mobile and play in the Senior Bowl. What are your thoughts on both of those guys, and what are scouts saying at this point in the process? Let's go to Burbridge first. I mean, first of all, scouts dismissed him uh, coming into the season. He was, he was not even rated. Uh, it was tough to get uh, junior, time, uh, junior measurements on him as far as height, weight, speed. Uh, if, you, if you read my stuff over the summer when I do my conference breakdowns, I actually had him listed as a free agent. Now, you know, what happened with Burbridge is, let's not forget, last year Tony Lippett, who was the fifth-round uh, pick of the Miami Dolphins, who they turned to cornerback, and, and Keith Mumphrey, fifth-round pick of the Houston Texans, who's doing a good job with their top two receivers. So it was really tough for Burbridge to get some 
you know, a lot of playing time. But what little playing time he did get as a junior, you know, he caught the ball well. I, I think it's just a situation where those seniors, uh, Lippitt and, and uh, Mumphrey, have basically moved on to the NFL. Burbage has really stepped into the role where he's the number one guy, and he shows he has the skills. He is a natural pass catcher. The thing for Burbage is, obviously, we want to see him at the senior bowl, but, you know, he's not really a big guy, about six foot, 203 pounds, doesn't present himself as a uh, as a downfield threat. So those you know combine numbers, those workout numbers are going to be very important to see. Is this guy a potential third round, third fourth round pick, or is he just someone who benefited from the system? You know, stepped into the role of the number one uh, receiver and doesn't have the physical skills, and as such is going to be a later round pick. I think that'll be determined not only at the uh, combine but also the Senior Bowl when they do those drills to see if he can get downfield separation. As far as Nassib is concerned, I think he's just growing into his body. I mean, he's a tall guy. He's starting to get bigger. He's starting to get stronger, starting to make plays. I also think the fact is, you know, he benefits from the fact that he's got two very good defensive tackles playing inside of him, Anthony Zettel and Austin Johnson, Johnson the junior who's expected to enter the draft. And those guys attract a lot of attention, which makes Nassib's job a little bit easier on the outside. But the fact is he's making the plays, and he's going from someone who was – basically considered a streak-free agent entering the season into a draftable commodity. Tony, entering the season, one of the top seniors that a lot of people talked about at the running back position in particular was Utah's Devontae Booker. Really interesting guy, kind of divisive just because a lot of people think that he could be a potential feature back. Some people, like myself, have questioned whether or not he has that potential to really reach that type of level as a runner. Where do you think scouts rank him at this point in the process how big will that week of practice be for booker what does he have still to prove here for scouts well i'll tell you what you know coming into the season my opinion was basically the same of yours i thought okay he's a good college runner but when i've watched him and i talk to people well when i've watched him i've been very impressed he's very explosive he's quick he hits the hole he's got that first step that he can turn on and he's shown himself to be a good receiver out of the backfield the feeling I've been getting from scouts, from, talk, from talking to the West Coast, is they love him. The area scouts out there like him. They're going to give him high grades. They're going to give him top 45 grades. As far as the senior bowl is concerned, I think what you really want to see are his pass-catching skills, which have been pretty good at uh, Utah. He's got 37 receptions this year for 318 yards. You know, is he natural catching the ball out of the backfield? Does he fight the pass? Is he able to adjust to the air and throws? You know, he's basically the offense out at Utah because their quarterback out there, uh, Travis Wilson, is very ordinary. So Booker is the guy both on the ground and doing the job as, as a pass catcher. Uh, you know, the interviews, everything else, I, I think, I, as far as I'm concerned, he's the number one senior running back. I think that the ability to, to show quickness through the hole, to basically show some creativity, make defenders miss when they do the full scrimmage, I think that will go a long way to determine his – you know, is he a late first-round pick or is he an early second-round choice? The theme of injuries is always very interesting to follow when you talk about the senior bowl process because you've got some guys that go down there and then develop a mysterious injury and then don't make it to the game. You have other guys that decline to even go to the game because of injury. And then you have other guys that missed so much of the season, maybe sometimes their entire senior season, still earn an invite and now they've got the chance to showcase their ability in front of scouts, something they hadn't been able to do throughout the entire fall. And that's going to be the case for two players in particular, Carson Wentz, the quarterback from North Dakota State, and Jonathan Williams, the running back from Arkansas, two guys watching their tape 
either from last year as juniors or in the limited time that they've been on the field this year as a senior. I really like both of these players. I think they're one of the top players at each of their respective positions. What do you think scouts are saying right now about the, these two guys, and where do they stand as they go into this game? Well, Wentz is really moving up draft boards. I mean, again, here's a guy who entered the season basically with a street free agent grade, and, I, you know, the, I was going to write it last week. I'll break the story here. There are a number of scouts a number who work for teams that have Wentz as the number one senior quarterback in the nation on their board. That's how much they like him. The wrist injury, I'm hearing different things. I heard something, I heard something earlier, uh, or I should say late last week, where it may be a problem. It may be a concern. Uh, wrist injuries for quarterbacks are never good. Hopefully it heals. I'm not sure that it's going. I'm not going to sit here and say, yeah, I'm sure he's going to be on the field at the senior bowl. I hope he is because teams want to see his downfield arm. Does he have a downfield arm? Does he throw the ball downfield with accuracy? If you watch North Dakota State, it's really more of a short and intermediate passing game. And, again, you know, we talked about the small school cornerbacks in Miller and Bradbury when they do those one-on-one drills with, with the deep routes. Well, we want to see those one-on-one drills with the deep routes with, with Wentz throwing the ball. Can he throw the ball downfield with speed, and can he throw it accurately? But a lot will depend on the wrist injury, and I'm getting a lot of differing opinions on the situation. I, I, I hear it may be a problem. As far as Williams is concerned, I mean, the guy just had foot surgery. So uh, I'd be very shocked if he played at the senior ball. Uh, foot injuries are never good in football, especially with skilled players. Uh, and you watch uh, Williams run. I mean, he's not a light-footed guy. He's kind of a pounder, very explosive. Uh, it, you know, you hope he's ready for the combine. I hope he's ready for the senior ball. I, I tend to doubt it. Hopefully he'd be ready for the combine and be ready to go for camp. All right, we'll stay in the SEC. We were just talking about Jonathan Williams from Arkansas. How about Jordan Jenkins from Georgia? You talk about Jenkins, Shalee Calhoun from Michigan State as some of these elite pass rushers in the senior class. Some people will question whether or not they are elite overall in terms of their draft grade. But what are scouts saying about these two players coming off the edge in a group that, again, not, not necessarily the most star-studded edge rush group so far going into this year? What are people saying about Jenkins and Calhoun? Yeah, night and day. I mean, Jenkins has shown himself to be a good pass rusher more so this year than in the past. But in the past, he was a very good space linebacker. He was a guy that you could put out in coverage, covered a lot of area, could cover tight ends, could cover running backs. And there's really a need for that. So really what Jenkins has done is add another element to his game as far as showing his pass rush skill, which he had in the past, but he's doing it more now. So they're very excited about Jenkins. Uh, his overall potential, his overall game, he's got to up it. He's got to play at a consistently high level. But if you mesh what he's shown this year compared with what he had during his sophomore and uh, junior season, there's a lot to be excited about. Shalit Calhoun's a very solid football player. He's just not a very good athlete. And that, there are teams who think he may struggle at the next level. He's a bit one-dimensional. Yeah, 11 and a half tackles, uh, I'm sorry, 11 tackles for loss this year, 8.5 sacks. But he came in junior time day with six, five and a half. Uh, in the low 250-pound range, and he ran the 40 in the 4.8. I mean, that's not a good combination. Where do you play that sort of guy at the next level? He's not really athletic. He's not really fast. He's not really big. Hopefully he grows into his body. So I think with Calhoun, it's more a situation where he may be a situational pass rusher where Jenkins, if he develops and if he gets his act together and really is able to, uh, to put it together between the ears, so to say, he can be an every-down player on Sunday. All right, Tony, the last question I have for you, is there anybody else 
that you'd like that you're hearing things about potential uh, underclassmen that they may, may be declaring any invites for any of these all-star games that haven't broken yet anything that you want to share here on this podcast well, I would I just tell you know the listeners out there remember the name I wrote about him yesterday, James Kowser, uh, outside linebacker, defensive end from uh, Southern Utah. I mean, he is a guy that has basically lit one double A on fire this year. The whole Southern Utah team—they've got four, uh, three draftable prospects on defense. Kowser's got ten sacks, thirteen and a half tackles for loss. It's ironic, but when I was talking to people last week, three of them have compared Kowser to Jared Allen. Doesn't mean he's going to be Jared Allen, but he's got that Jared Allen type of those, those types of skills as a pass rusher. And ironically, Jared Allen played in the same conference, the Big Sky Conference at Idaho State. So Cal's is a guy who I heard is getting an invitation to the Shrine Game to keep an eye on uh, as we move towards uh, through the postseason. And remember, you know what happens is you mentioned injuries at the Senior Bowl. Oftentimes, some of these guys, especially these small school guys who played the Shrine Game, show up at the Senior Bowl because they need somebody to fill in because one of the defensive linemen or one of the cornerbacks or one of the offensive linemen or receivers get hurt. So some of these guys can actually play in both games. Uh, that that's the, could be the situation with Kowser. Um, as far as the underclassmen, I was told last night that Alex Redmond, the, uh, the uh, guard from UCLA, basically has one foot out the door and will enter the draft. He's just a guy who doesn't seem to like college. As far as his playing skills, they say he's a physical freak. But he's a guy who may take it may take a while to get it together between the ears. And his teammate Celeb Benenak, who is the left tackle at UCLA, very athletic kid, uh, is seriously considering entering the draft. He's going to wait and see what his grade is from the advisory committee before fully committing. Uh, but he's at least uh, he, he's heavily weighing for weighing towards entering the draft if he gets positive re- reviews back from the advisory committee. Tony Pauline, again, you could follow him on Twitter at Tony Pauline from DraftInsider.net. I appreciate the time here, as always, on Saturday Scouting on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. We will talk to you soon. Look forward to it, friend. Great stuff again from Tony. Again, you could follow him on Twitter at Tony Pauline. And while you're at it, I'm at FDuffy3. Give me a follow if you like what you're hearing on this podcast. I tweet out the links to this one and all the other podcasts I'm a part of. The Eagle Eye in the Sky column, that goes up four times a week. The Saturday Scouting column, uh, which goes up every Saturday morning. Every other podcast I'm a part of, every piece of content that I try and produce, I try and put it up on that Twitter page. So feel free to hit me up on Twitter anytime. I love going back and forth with fans. We will definitely write you back. People. I, so, I pretty so, much always do. So hit him up. He loves the conversation. He loves football one-on-one, loves conversations. So. I do. So this was a big week. This I, I've been waiting for this Tuesday for a long time. I was going to say, usually this is our matchup segment for, for fans who, who, are, uh, who listen to the Eagle Eye and Sky podcast. This week we're going to switch it up because this is Franz. This is, this is the beginning. You don't understand. I've been waiting for this now for a couple of months because typically they start doing this a few weeks in event, and that's why 19 came out today because typically they'd like tease it with like six or seven and then another six or seven the following week for some reason it got delayed this week this year what we're talking about is the first 19 uh, uh invites have gone out for the senior bowl well the the accept a the, the bunch ex- of invites have gone this out except these these accept the first 19 except these excuse me so this is uh this is when we go down we do our journey to draft this is the new nutria rats yes uh, the nutria rats get some great seafood down in the gulf but uh this is when we go down to mobile and uh we, we spend about a week down there obviously we have shrine the week before so so people um, know that the nutria rats are these gigantic and if you want to if you what's yeah, the restaurant if you haven't i forget the name of the restaurant. Oh, I, I, I listen i've got too many things wrong through my head right now i, I can't, I can't think of it. i got i have written down but these giant rodents that live down in the gulf that they brought over to kill the snakes 
I guess, like they were coming out of the swamp and live in the Gulf. And now they've got these giant rats that live in the swamp. And it's, it's, I mean, these, we the, saw one with our own eyes and it's, they're like miniature alligators. I mean, do you think they're, they're, they're bigger than, uh, they're giant gerbils. Like yes, think of like yes, a gerbil with yes. like the nasty teeth. And everything. Like, oh, yeah. Just the, the size of a, a German shepherd. But we literally, we, we were eating dinner and after dinner they were like, oh yeah, there's these rats over here that, that killed, that killed. And so we're looking out and we just see this rat in, in the, in, in the, in the weeds just Moving around, we're like, oh, it was they, like Jurassic they Park. They weren't joking. Like, there's really a rat out there. So. <laughs> it was like the scene from Jurassic Park where the T Rex comes out of the woods. I mean, that's literally what it looked like. On, but, top, of, on top of the senior prospects, we definitely go down there for the rest. Yes, so. we we digress. All right, so we have we have 19 guys here. I'm going to kick you, give you a quick one liner. You haven't seen it, so this is how we're going to do. I'm gonna, you're going to have a one liner. If you go too far, I'm going to hit you with the buzzer. You hit me with the buzzer. That's right. right. It works. I like it. All right, the buzzer's not working. There we go. There, there we go. go. There's the right. buzzer. So here we go. Ready to go? All right, here we go. Here we go. Missouri center, Evan Bohm. All right, Evan Bohm is one of the best centers in the country. He's built a lot like Travis Frederick, has a little bit of athleticism to him, but really excels in the run game. Maryland quarterback, Sean Davis. Sean Davis is one of my favorite corners in the country, only because he's got the size and he's got the length and he's got the athleticism. Really reminds me of Eric Rowe, a guy that played safety, played corner. Either way, he's either a big cover corner, that's kind of the trend in the NFL, or he's a cover safety and can line up all over him and has corner skills, which is obviously the big trend. So either way, I think he's really flying under the radar right now. Got good intel with Maryland. Stanford guard Josh Garnett. Josh Garnett's the typical road grader. He's the left guard there for Stanford, really good at the point of attack and move people in the run game. Not the greatest athlete, but shows the ability to win as a puller, can get some movement in that way, uh, has made some of the biggest hits. If you go online and you search for Josh Garnett gifs or Josh Garnett vines, you'll like what you see. The, the guy packs a punch. Northern Iowa cornerback DeAndre Hall. Well, this guy actually got invited to the shrine game a few weeks back and so, so i watched double, him double up well he well i would imagine that he's probably going to skip the shrine game now but they announced him a few weeks back i'm assuming it was before he got a senior bowl invite right he is really intriguing he's got great size great length he looks like he's got incredibly long arms still has a little bit of refinement to do but he's coming from a smaller school kind of reminds me of pierre desir another small school oh, prospect loved him from a couple years ago yes yeah, so uh an interesting guy for sure i'm calling the buzzer on myself there yeah. uh wow local guy uh, Temple de- defensive tackle, Matt Ioannidis. Matt Ioannidis, very disruptive guy. Uh, more of that, that typical three technique, a little bit undersized at defensive tackle. Does a lot of things well in terms of using his hands, getting into the backfield, has a good first step, has been very, very disruptive this year for the Owls defense. And excited to see him in person down in Mobile. Another Temple tough guy with a single digit, uh, Tyler Medikevich. Yeah, he's been one of the most productive linebackers in the country. Physical, instinctive. The question with him will be, his athleticism. So very excited to see him go up against the best of the best down in Mobile. Sorry, he's a Temple linebacker for those who don't know. All right, Georgia edge player, Jordan Jenkins. Not quite to the level of Leonard Floyd, the uh, the linebacker that I'm very, very infatuated with uh, that comes off the Number edge. Number 84, kick and play. Yeah, he, kid's a stud, a, absolutely freak athlete. But uh, Jenkins is a nice player in his own right, has some uh, pop in his hands, can defend the run, a little bit on the undersized side, but a uh, very interesting player for sure, has some athleticism, can drop in space as well. Good last name here. Southern Utah safety, Miles Killebrew. Miles Killebrew. A little bit under, uh, in terms of, he's got good size, but the athleticism will be the question for him. I know that some people have seen him as a potential linebacker convert as well. So, uh, interested to see him, obviously, on a big stage. Southern Utah has a couple of different guys that we'll probably see at the Shrine game as well. So, uh, pretty good defense there for, for the Southern Utah. 
Stanford linebacker Blake Martinez. Martinez is physical downhill. My question with him was his athleticism and his instincts over the summer. So uh, excited to see him. I know that the Stanford defense has had a lot of success this year. Excited to see him uh, in person, number one. But then also, how does he stack up compared to some of these other linebacker prospects in the country? A guy I like, uh, Georgia wide receiver Malcolm Mitchell. Converted corner, has great athleticism, has had a bit of uh, the injury bug over the over the course of his career, but very dynamic, has some explosive abilities. The question will be, is he a full-time wide receiver or is he a gadget-type player? Louisville defensive tackle Sheldon Rankins. I liked Rankins when I watched him. I didn't get a chance to watch him until recently. He's got a quick first step, but he's also really good with his hands. He can do some things against the run. I think he can play a number of different positions along the defensive line. High motor guy. I, I liked Rankins. I'm excited to see him as well. Remember this name, Oklahoma defensive lineman Charles Tapper. Made one of the most athletic plays I saw of any defensive lineman a year ago uh, in the bowl game against Clemson where he knocked the ball up in the air, intercepted it, and brought it back to the house. Had to come back because of a, uh, one of his teammates was Very offside. Very similar to Greg Hardy's interception. Yes, exactly. But he you know, just shows the ability to win in a number of different ways, uses his hands really well, another high-motor guy. I like Charles Tapper. He's not going to be a first-round pick probably, but a guy that they're, if, whoever drafts him is going to get a quality defensive lineman. You showed me some tape, and he looked really good. Yes. Uh, Northwestern fullback, Dan Vitale. Yeah, they, they, he, he's called the super back in that offense because he's just he lines up all over the place. He's a, a split wing tight end, is a, you know, out in the slot. Peyton Hillis. Very rarely sometimes is he a fullback, really. I mean, he just lines up all over the place. He's probably going to be a fullback or an H-back, you know, a James Casey-type player at the next level. And that's kind of what you're getting. Uh, the question will be, is he as good as like a Kyle Juszczyk? Remember we saw down from Harvard a couple yep, years yep. ago uh, who was converted full-time to fullback, and they use him in a number of different ways there for Baltimore. But uh, I wonder, does he have the hands to be you know, a guy that you're going to say, okay, he's going to be our starter kind of swing player as a fullback, H-back type. So I'm excited to see him as well. North Dakota State quarterback Carson Wentz. A guy that the more I watched him, the more I really, really liked him. Big kid. Yeah, big kid who, who's got a solid arm. He doesn't have a great arm, but he's got a solid arm accurate really really good before the snap and that was something that really stood out to me particularly this year as a senior before he got hurt uh he had ended up with a with an injury in the beginning of the season so i think he only played four or five games he should be healthy for the game so very excited to see him in the week of practice there i'll tell you what some of these quarterbacks that uh may have gotten invitations the connor cooks the cody kesslers if you're one of those guys and you're not sure if you want to go to the game, you better go because if you don't, this kid's going to steal the show. Put something on tape because uh, these, these kids that come from lower divisions, they, this is their opportunity. This is it. People, he, it's, it's, it's worth it. What do you have to lose? Yeah, he's a, he's a quality prospect. Illinois defense lineman Jihad Ward. He could be. Last year, remember Carl Davis, and I just talked. We just talked about this with Tony Pauline. Iowa. Carl Davis went down to Iowa or from Iowa, and he was one of the stars of the week practice. I think Jihad Ward has the ability to do that as well. He's not as strong at the point of attack in terms of just brute strength, but this kid is just so much fun to watch because he makes incredible high motor plays, plays sideline to sideline, has freak athleticism for his size. I'm really excited to see Jihad Ward up close. And then uh, ECU tight end Bryce Williams. Yeah, played all over the formation for the Pirates, uh, does a lot of things well. You know, He's got pretty decent size, so uh, moves well for his, for his size. He's got good length. He can be used in the run game as well intriguing guy i think he still has some refining to do in terms of his route running but uh, a fun guy to watch for sure but not watched no no I, well the three guys I, ha I haven't watched there's the corner from samford right 
uh, the tackle. Uh, James Bradbury. Yep, James Bradbury, who we just talked about with Tony Pauline. I haven't watched him yet. Uh, that's why I didn't chime in too much when we were talking about him with Tony. Baylor wide receiver Jay Lee. Yeah, well, haven't studied him yet. And then the uh, the tackle. From Harvard, Harvard Harvard offensive tackle Cole Toner. That's right. Cole, so, Cole don't have any more Toner. No question. So, uh, you know, I think that overall, yeah, very excited to see this whole group. Another guy I'm really excited to see. We're going to see him at Lincoln Financial Field on Saturday. Paxton Lynch is coming to town to take on Temple. And uh, I'll tell you, every time I've watched Lynch, I've been very, very impressed. Haven't watched him the past couple of weeks where he struggled against Navy and Houston. I, I say struggled as in, you know, didn't put up the outstanding numbers that we have seen. I don't know for sure if he has struggled or not. But uh, very, very excited to see him up close in person. Uh, and a big game for the game. I was going to say big game for your Owls. I was watching the uh, game Saturday, and it was uh... – it was a tough one. Yeah, tough one against South Florida. No, no question so. about it. Well, uh, let's wrap up the show. Thanks again to Greg, to Ike, to Tony, and all of you out there listening. Whether you're on iTunes, on Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, Google Play, and of course on PhiladelphiaEagles.com and the Eagles mobile app. Thank you. And if you have the time, go on, rate the show, leave us a comment. You never know. You might get something. That's right. You, uh, if you, you, you may be rewarded for your, uh, you know, for your contribution. So leave us a comment. Let us know what you think. Shoot me a question. I want to make everybody out there happy. So if you get time to go on, leave us a comment. All that being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Line, the Sky podcast from my producer, BT. I'm Fran Duffy. We'll talk to you next week.